before we go any further, I'm just going to ask you to be praying. If you just, you know, make a note. Um, the Bartons, Ben and Kirsten Barton, um, had to rush their daughter, Molly. Some of you don't know Ben or Kirsten and don't know Molly, but Molly, we call her Miracle Molly. But she, uh, she had to be taken to the hospital and, and had some breathing challenges. I guess she's home now, but just keep them in your prayers. Uh, because she was, she was nothing less than a miracle the way God was able to fortify her and bring her into the world. So, you know, we all have things that we need prayer for. So be aware, you know, be open, be available to be praying for one another. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning we are, are continuing on. Um, thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, I believe this is, in my heart, this is one of the most important messages I have ever shared, this series on humility, because of what I am, I am continuing to grow in my learning of and adjust my life to. And before this year started, I really felt like God was telling me to, to study Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And this is the foundation scripture for this series that we've been on for many, many weeks. But I, I don't know about you, but I'm still learning so much. But this is what it says. The Lord has told you what is good. He's told you what he wants from you. To do what is right to other people. To love being kind to others. And then this is where we're really kind of focusing in on. To live humbly obeying your God. You know, humility is not a part of our, our world, our society because it's not something that is naturally found in people. Some people are more prone to it, but God is a God who is a humble God. We see that because we see throughout Jesus' life, the way he came into the world was in humble environment. Uh, he, he lived his life humbly. He, he interacted with people humbly. And then even as we approach Resurrection Sunday, the Bible tells us that he humbled himself and died on the cross. Every aspect of Jesus' life revealed humility. But Jesus revealed his Father. That's why part of the reason why he came. And humility is so incredibly important to the kingdom of God. The Bible says we're, we're saved by grace through faith. But the Bible also says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The way we come into the kingdom, our, our beginnings in the kingdom, just like Jesus' beginnings in the earth, are our only through humility. The only way we can come into the kingdom of God is we acknowledge God is much greater than we are. We have a need that we can't meet, that God can. And in that, we humble ourselves and say, God, I come to you, Lord Jesus, and I ask you to forgive me. I receive your forgiveness. I invite you to be Lord of my life. I turn me being Lord of my life over to you being Lord of, of my life. And that's an act of humility, of submitting, of yielding to God. Because we can't do this on our own. But God, with God, what's possible? All things. All things are possible. And so in this world, we regularly run into things that are just overwhelming to us, a shock to us. And nothing is not known by God. He knows it all. Nothing is shocking to him, and he can do it all. And that's where the Bible tells us we can do all things, how? Through Christ. It's not us being able to do it ourselves. We've got to come to that realization, which is very foreign to us, to admit, I can't do it, but not leave it there, because then you're in a defeatist mentality. You, you, you're just overwhelmed and undone, and you just want to quit. I can't do this, but God can. And in that, there's a hope that arises, a confident expectation of good, because the Bible tells us that God will work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we've been learning about this, this living humbly, obeying our God. We'll never obey God if we're not humble enough to recognize his way is better than ours. And that's a challenge for every one of us. Every one of us is challenged daily in, in 
being influenced by pride causing us to think we know the best way or we can do this on our own, but we don't know the best way. And we can do some things on our own, but what we do will never last. But what God is able to do through us will last. And so today we're going to continue to look at this, but before we do, I, I just want to pray. So if you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your spirit that lives in your people. Thank you for your word that won't return void. Thank you that you promised us you would confirm your word with signs and wonders following. That your word would bring healing and health and vitality and life. That your word would illuminate and bring revelation that we could experience transformation going from glory to glory. And that your word is truth. And it sets us free. Father, we, we extend our faith. We believe right now for healings, physically, emotionally, mentally. Father, we believe for you to redeem and restore relationships that are godly. Father, we believe that lives will be changed eternally we believe that you'll speak to us that we your sheep will recognize your voice and you'll speak to us the very things we need to hear from you so that we can be what you have for us to be and do what you have for us to do that we won't walk alone but father will recognize you will obey you and we'll see you take us from glory to glory. We thank you, Father, for the good work that you have begun in us that you're faithful to complete because you're working in us to will and to do your good pleasure, not ours. Because your way is better than ours. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... And just as we looked at last week, we're going to jump in again at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9, where we learn that, that God's ways are different than ours. It says, just as the sky is higher than the earth, so my deeds are superior to your deeds. Now, if somebody came walking up to you and said, you know what, my deeds are superior to yours, what would be our, maybe not outward reaction, but inward, how would we react to that? Oh, you guys are tough this morning. How about you guys at home? Would you have a little resistance to that? Would you feel a little like, you don't even know me. You don't know what I can do. I can do a lot of stuff. You might not do that self-talk, but there'd be this little thing that rises up. Because we all, every one of us, struggles with pride in our life. You see, our, our world is filled with, it's saturated with pride. We've been taught this from the very beginning. Don't rely on anybody else. You rely on you. Don't let them see your sweat. Don't let them see your weaknesses. And so we do everything we do, trying not to be relying on anybody else because we don't want somebody else to let us down because they have. But I want you to know God will never let you down. God will never fail you. But we need to understand that God is not our servant. God is not somebody we're supposed to say, okay, hey, down here. I want you to do this and this and this and do it by this time. Because when we start to tell God what way to do it and how soon he needs to do it and all the aspects that we want to tell God, all of a sudden we are operating in pride before we know it because we think our way is better than his. And God's way is always better than ours. And that's why he says, my deeds are superior to your deeds and my plans are superior to your plans. But how many of you know, sometimes we, we see in the Bible what God's plan was and it doesn't make sense. Right? Well, I guess not. You guys thought you, you, you know, 
we're going to bring Israel out of the, the, the bondage in Egypt. We're going to bring them to the Red Sea. We're going to surround them by the Egyptian army. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to open up the Red Sea. Who saw that? Who knew that? Nobody. But Psalm 77 tells us that God led Israel through the sea, the mighty waters on a path that no one knew. A path that no one knew. Now listen, God didn't just do that one time. There are paths that God has that you don't know, I don't know, no one knows, but God knows. And it's to bring you through. To bring you through. You know, we love the promises of God, but sometimes we look at things and we just want to cut some things out of our Bible. Right? How about Psalm 23? How many of you know Psalm 23? I'm not going to ask you to say it. How many of you love Psalm 23? Man, it's a great psalm. But the Lord is my, I shall not want. Oh, yes, Jesus. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Oh, this is getting good. I need a lounge chair. He restores my soul. Oh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then it takes a left turn. It's like, God, where'd you go? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, what is this death stuff, God? We were just in the green pastures. We were beside the still waters. You're restoring my soul. I don't want valley of the shadow of death. Right? But this is all God. He leads you in paths of righteousness. And there are going to be times you're going to go through the valley of shadow of death. But you don't have to fear because he's with you. And then even at that, if we're in going through the valley of the shadow of death, what do we want? We want him to pick it up. Let's get out of here. Right? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's what I want. And what's he do? Let's have a picnic. No, God, this isn't a good place. If we were back in the green, green pastures, picnic is fine. Still waters, picnic is fine. This is the valley of the shadow of death. What are you doing? I'm preparing a table for you. Surrounded by your enemies. Is God leading or is he not leading? Yeah. You're going to go through. We're going to go through. The valley of shadow of death. But he doesn't want us running through it. He wants us walking through it. He wants to show us. Just like he showed Israel going through the, 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 the wilderness. That he was going to be able to take care of them. No matter what their environment was. No matter what surrounded them. He was going to be able to prepare a table for them. That they could feast. They could nourish. They could get strong in the presence of, their, of our enemies. What happens when you're surrounded by your enemies? Do you feel like eating? Absolutely not. We're going to be like, no, no, the food's down here. I'm here. Focus on me, God, your God that's with you. Focus on me, your God who's providing nourishment for you in the most harsh, inhospitable, enemy-surrounded moments of your life. You'll get out of there when God has for you to get out of there. But you're going to know that God is going to take care of you in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Surrounded by all those that want to do damage to you. So you don't have to fear any of it. Your cup's going to run over. There's going to be an overflow in your life. That's what God has for you. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't always make sense to us. Why would God? And God didn't do it. But God used four 
teenage boys. They were ripped out of their, their family, their home, their country. They were placed in a, a very opposite society. They went through lion's dens, fiery furnaces to cause a king and a kingdom to turn and recognize that there is one true living God. See, we want, we want great, want to do great things for God. We want great testimonies, right? If you're going to have a great testimony, you're going to have to go through a great test. We want to be used mightily by God. But sometimes what we go through as God uses us is not the easiest, most comfortable, most convenient. Doesn't always fit into our schedule. And we have to be willing. God, have your way. That's where in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 it says, for what seems to be God's foolishness. God's foolishness. Is God ever foolish? No. God can't be. He's wise beyond wise. But sometimes it seems to us foolishness. But guess who's being fooled? We are. For what seems to be God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And what seems to be God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, but people who aren't spiritual. Now, we're, we're talking about people that, that are connected with God in, in, in communion with the Spirit of God. These are people that aren't that way. They can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds what? Foolish. I don't know about you, but there are times that I've sensed, I've never heard the voice of God, but I've, I've, you know, the Bible tells us we're to be led by the Holy Spirit, and I've sensed Holy Spirit kind of directing me to do something, and it seemed foolish. Just like it says, it all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. There are times you and I are not going to be able to understand, but the Bible says, trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all ways, in all things, allow him to give you input. Acknowledge him and he'll direct your steps. And those steps may be through the valley of the shadow of death, but there's a purpose for it. Bigger than we can understand Bigger than we can comprehend. Bigger than we'll ever know on this earth. But one day it'll be clear. God will reveal it. It's kind of like the late Chuck Colson of Watergate fame, who was the founder of Prison Fellowship. This is what he wrote. He said, The great paradox of my life is that every time I walk into a prison and see faces of men and women who have been transformed... By the power of the living God, I realize that the things God has chosen to use in my life are none of the successes, achievements, degrees, awards, honors, or cases I won before the Supreme Court. That's not what God is using in my life. What God is using in my life to touch literally thousands of people is the fact that I was a convict. I went to prison. That was my greatest defeat. The only thing I didn't succeed in in my life. And God chose to use it. You know, we think we've got to have all these accomplishments. All the, no, God's just looking for availability. And sometimes we are so secure, so strong in ourselves that God isn't able to use us because we're using us. We're not depending on him. And we need to. 
We all have strengths. We all have gifts. God's given those to us. And in those strengths and in those gifts and in those abilities, we're less likely to depend on him because we have those. But many times it's in our weaknesses and our frailties and even in our failures that we recognize the reality that's there in our strengths and abilities. And that is we need God. We can't do this without him. And what we can accomplish without him amounts to no eternal value. And even we see people like Paul that was used just massively, wrote most of the New Testament. God did amazing things in his life. And, and in looking at his life in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul tells about a vision that God had given him and how he was caught up to the third heaven. And uh, then he begins to say some things that, that really begin to hit home for us. And he says this in verse 7. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given, all right? He was given something. A thorn in the flesh. Now, I'm going to stop right there because, you know, there are all sorts of ideas of what this was. Okay? You can read all sorts of people that are a lot smarter than us, and they have ideas, but there's nothing that I am aware of that directly points to what that thorn was. So we need to read what the Bible says. And it was a thorn in the flesh. So something was happening. That word thorn was a dangerously sharp object. It was either a spike or a spear that they used most of the time to put the heads of their defeated foes on. To bring shame and humiliation. But it was also used to poke and poke. And it was incredibly painful. This is what the thorn is. Now, where it was in the flesh? It was in the flesh. We don't know. We don't know fully. But you know what? It doesn't matter. A lot of people make an issue of this, but this does not matter. What matters is we understand what happened and where it came from. And it goes on to say, a thorn in the flesh. Where am I? A messenger from who? So if it's a messenger from Satan, if I say... Uh, I just received a messenger from Mark. Who's the initiator? Mark. So it's got a direct connection to Mark. So this thorn in the flesh was directly connected to Satan. Now, does anybody remember what Satan is referred to as in the book of Revelation? He's the accuser of the brethren. He's a, and if somebody's accusing you, if, if Mark's an accuser and he sends me a messenger, what likely is the messenger going to do to me? Accuse me. Right. No, Mark wouldn't do that. He's a good guy. I can pick on Mark and he'll still love me. Because you have to. <laughs> a messenger sent of Satan. The accuser. This poking... This constant thing that was going on, it said, it goes on to say, to torment and keep me from becoming proud. To torment. Uh, in, the New, in the New King James, it's, it's um, the word buffet. It's not the buffet. Buffet. It means to continuously pummel, unrelenting beatings without interruption. So this messenger sent from Satan, this thorn, something that pokes all the time, pummels, beats continuously without relief, came to Paul. He was, he was experiencing this on a constant basis. Now, the enemy is just unrelenting. And sometimes, and I'm seeing this more and more in these days, that people are getting through one battle and there's another battle and another battle and another battle. And the Bible talks about when the enemy comes in like a flood. 
the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard. God has a provision when the enemy is constantly barraging you, constantly attacking you. When you're in a constant battle, what eventually ends up happening with our strength, with our perspective, we become weak, our perspective changes. Many times we just want to quit. But I'm telling you, there's no quit in God and there should be no quit in God's people. And so this is what's happening. This is what's going on. A messenger sent of Satan, a thorn poking, poking, poking. No, no let up. And, and the next verse tells us what, what happened in that moment. Not unlike us. In verse 8, it says... Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Now, I think all of us can relate to this. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Of course he wanted it taken away. Most of the time, that's what we want. And you know, I want to say this, but I don't want to look at you because I don't want anybody to think I'm looking at you and trying to get you to pay attention. So I'm going to turn around. A lot of you have never seen this side of my head. But I'm going to ask you about your prayer because I think it's pretty common to all of us, just like Paul's prayer. We ask for a lot of things, but one of the biggest things we ask for is relief. God, just get me out of this. I just want it to end. And you know, a lot of times that's, that's what we want. We want it to be magic. God, I pray and poof, it's gone. I'm going to tell you something. God is a process God. God doesn't want you avoiding things. God wants you overcoming things. And the reason why he wants you to overcome is because he wants you not to have to look over your shoulder and wonder if that thing's coming after you. You know, it's what he did when he brought Israel through the Red Sea on a path no one knew but him. When the enemies started to pursue him, Anybody remember what happened to them? The Egyptian army started to pile into that same crossing that Israel just crossed over on. And all of a sudden, their chariots got bogged down. Their horses couldn't move. They couldn't go any farther. And the waters came back in over them. And he cut off their enemies. Why do you think he did that? Because if that hadn't happened, they would have been always looking over their shoulder when they were going through the, the wilderness wondering, are they catching up to us? God doesn't want you looking over your shoulder. He's your rear guard. And if you beat what you just went through, it doesn't matter if it's up ahead of you. You can beat it again because of God. Three times. There's only one other time I'm aware of. And I, I, there's a lot I'm still learning, but there's only one time I'm aware of that somebody prayed three times other than Paul in this moment. Does anybody have an idea who it was? I heard it. Jesus. Anybody remember where Jesus prayed three times? Yeah, we're about to celebrate Easter, Jesus' victory and our victory. But he went through. Very challenging, very difficult times. Through the valley of the shadow of death. And in Matthew chapter 26, there are three times he prayed. And it says in verse 39, he went a little farther and with his face to the ground. What is that? When somebody goes to a, with their face to the ground, they bow down. That's humility. Again, in that moment, we see Jesus showing great humility because God resists the and gives grace to the humble. 
Jesus was facing something he couldn't do on his own. And so he bowed in, in humility before his father. And he said, my father, which is again, his words show honor to the father, which is him revealing humility. My father, if it is possible, you, you notice he's not saying, father, stop this. Father, you need to change this. We need to do something different. He's not directing God. He's asking Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Is he pulling any punches or is he being honest? Absolutely honest. You've got to be honest with God because he knows it anyways. Don't play games. Don't be religious. Be honest with God. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Humility. God, I submit, Father, I submit to your will. Not, I don't need my will be being done. I need your will to be done because I know your will is best. He came to do the will of his Father. Whatever that took and wherever that took him, and it was taking him to the cross, and it would have been the perfect time, and it would have made all the sense in the world for him to say, you know what, let's do this another way. And he struggled with that. We see that in these words. Man, I don't want this to happen this way, but I'm yielding to you. Not my will, your will be done. Then it, it says in verse 42, he left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, yielding, submitting, allowing the father to have his way, even though it wasn't. The easiest way, the most comfortable, the most convenient. Maybe didn't even make sense, but it was what was necessary. Without Jesus going to the cross, you and I would not be saved. And then in verse 44, it says, and he went praying a third time, saying the same thing again. Just like Paul prayed three times. I want, this, I want this thorn in the flesh removed. Get it out of here, God. God, please. What was going on with God? Was he on vacation? Did he not hear Paul? God hears everyone. Oh, did he not care about Paul? No, he cared deeply about Paul. But he wouldn't change to do what Paul was asking because it would be less than what God had planned that was better. In that moment, that makes no sense. When you're in pain, when you're getting beat up by the enemy, It's natural. All we want is relief. Jesus shows us all I want is relief. I want to get through this. Paul says, I want to get through this. And God answers him. God answers him. And in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, each time he said. Now, when, when Paul's writing this, each time he said. Who's the he that's speaking now? God the Father. Each time, this is what the Father said. How many of you know he always speaks truth? You'll know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free, keep you free. That truth is what we need, more than we need what we want to hear. He said, my grace is what? My grace is Please say it. My grace is? God always speaks truth. My grace, which God extends to us whenever we walk in humility, 
coming into the kingdom, we have to be humble enough to recognize we need what he is and what he has. And so God's always willing to overflow with his grace, with his guidance, with his goodness. My grace is all you need. Now, we, we, we are exposed to times in our lives where somebody says, that's all you need. And it's not. But I'm telling you right now, God is not a man that he should lie. When he says this is all you need, it's all you need. All you need. But this is going on. All you need is his grace. Oh, but this is going on. All you need is his grace. Oh, but this just happened. All you need is his grace. And then he says this. My power. God's power. What's God's power like? There's nothing that compares to it. There's no end to it. There's no equal to it. My power. God say my power. The power that I use to create the whole universe. Everything seen and unseen. That power works best. We don't want good, do we? Or we want best. I want best. God wants best for you. My power works best in? Oh, my. Really? In weakness? In weakness. That's tough. We don't want to admit we're weak. We don't want to admit we have flaws. We don't want to admit we have failures. But you know what? We need to turn to God and proclaim, I need you. We want to rely on our strengths and our abilities and our accomplishments. And who did give us those strengths and abilities? God. But in those strengths and abilities and accomplishments, we, we tend to just rely on ourselves. I can do this. But in our weaknesses, our frailties, our flaws, our failures, we see so clearly how we need God. We need something definitely more than us, but what we really need is God. And as much as we need God and we recognize we need God in our frailties and flaws and failures and weaknesses, it's the same way we need him in our strengths and our abilities and accomplishments. And then it says, so now I am glad to boast in my weaknesses. Does that make sense to anybody here? No, because it's not the best translation, all right? This says boast. Another translation says glory, but what you really need to understand is the root word of what they have here is something that makes all the sense in the world, and that's why it's important to study the Word of God. I, I, <laughs> I don't have a degree in theology or anything, but I can read books from people that know a whole lot more than me, and one of the books that I read is Strong's Concordance. I look up words. Because I got to know, because I don't. And this is one of those moments that it was like, that makes all the sense in the world. This doesn't, but what it really says does. So I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. But the original word there, the root word, means To pray to God. I am glad to boast. Or, yeah, the word boast means to pray to God. I'm glad to be able to pray to God in my weaknesses. Doesn't that make more sense? Instead of boasting in our weaknesses, we pray in our weaknesses. When we invite God into those weak areas, into those areas we struggle, into those areas that we're having constant battles in, we need God. We're aware of God, and so we need to go to God. We need to pray, 
And, you know, prayer mostly is just inviting God to do what he said he'd do. Let him be a part so that the power of Christ can what? In those weak times, in those times of battle, when we pray, when we turn to God in humility, his grace abounds to us and the power of Christ begins to work through us, which is what we want. It's what we need, isn't it? But the only way it comes is through humility. God's not going to force his power through somebody who thinks they're powerful enough. But how foolish is that? Then in verse 10 it says, that's why I take pleasure in weakness. Again, take pleasure in weakness. But we can, we can be encouraged when we recognize the weaknesses in our lives and we recognize God is able and willing to work in those weak areas if we're humble enough to invite him and let him because he won't force us. That's why I take pleasure in weaknesses. And in insults and in hardships and persecutions that I suffer for Christ. Not because I've done something wrong, but when I'm doing this, and this is coming along with what I'm doing for Christ, I am able to take pleasure in it because when I am weak, I am strong. When I'm weak, I'm strong. That doesn't make sense unless you look at it from the kingdom perspective that when we're willing to admit to God, we're weak, we need you, we invite you to help us, then that strength of God begins to work in our lives. And just like Samson, remember Samson? All the pictures you've seen of Samson, what's he look like? Right? He looks like some massive bodybuilder. If that were the case, why would they have ever said, we've got to find out the source of this strength? Because I, these are reference points for me. They look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right? In his younger days. And yet what... what Samson actually looked like, and some of you will know this, some of you won't. This is before your time. He actually looked like Barney Fife. Now, if you don't know who Barney Fife is, look it up. <laughs> no, he was a real scrawny guy and just, you know, everybody made fun of him. But that's what Samson was like. It was because of the power of God that came upon him. It's the power of God that comes upon us. It's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. It's not about people seeing us and saying, you are amazing. It's really people being surprised and saying, oh my gosh. Look what he did. Look what she did. Look what they did. There's no way that was them. And it gets them to thinking, what's with them? All of a sudden we have a platform. We have an opportunity. We have an open door. Because it just dumbfounds them. And we let them know. It's not because we're so smart. It's not because we're so strong. It's not because we're so capable. It's because of God. The grace of God in my life and the grace of God in my life can do the same in your life. That's why we're supposed to be witnesses. That's why we're ambassadors. But we have to be humble enough to recognize, as an ambassador, we're representing somebody else. As a witness, we're pointing to somebody else. But in our pride, we want to point to us. In our weakness. In our weakness. His strength is made full. You know, it's true. It's true. The song I learned when I was a very little boy. You know that song, Jesus Loves Me? This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And part of it is, we are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. It's absolute truth. 
And when we are willing to humbly acknowledge that we aren't able, but God is, and he's willing, and we allow him, we humbly allow him to guide us, to govern us, to guard us, to empower us, to impart to us what we need, then we will become the church that God intends to be in these last days with miracles and signs and wonders, seeing thousands of people saved and discipled and cared for, but it only happens by the grace of God. And it only happens because the church is humble enough to receive Christ their head and allow the head to guide and govern and us to be the ones that respond to the head in humility. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, we've read some of this, but we just need to close this out with this. Peter writes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility for God resists the proud. When pride rises up in our life, God's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I can't allow that. I can't bless that. But gives grace to the humble. Therefore, therefore, when there's a therefore, find out what it's there for. Okay? And the therefore is pointing back to God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So because of that, because that's the way God works, God resists the proud. Whether it's his kid being proud or somebody else's kid being proud. But gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. That he may what? Exalt. It means to lift up. Man, when the enemy's beating you down, don't you need somebody to lift you up? And there's not always some of our brothers and sisters around us, but God's always there. And when we humble ourselves and we cry out to God, God, I want you involved in this. I need you involved in this. He begins to lift you up, to elevate you. It's the same grace that takes us from glory to glory to glory. You can't get, I can't get, we can't get to another level of glory except by the grace of God. The Apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Exalt you in due time. Due time. Moms, you were given a time when your child was supposed to come forth. Is that right? Yeah. That's a due date. Due time. What is that that the doctor's telling you when he says, this is the due date? The baby's coming. This is the optimum time, the best time for the baby to come, right? And how many, I'm not going to ask you. I'm just going to make a statement. How many times... Do you hear moms, man, I need that baby to come now. Why? Because we're uncomfortable. Because it's painful. Because of a variety. I, I, no, now. <laughs> Looking at Cameron. I was with Cameron when she gave birth to her first son, Josh. It was a huge honor and a blessing. The optimum, the best time is the due time. We don't want, we shouldn't want anything other than God's timing. But it takes humility for me to recognize, man, I want it now. I want it gone. I want this. I want that. But God, I, I know what I want, but I know you want what's best. And I need you to have your way over me having my way. Because I've had my way and it's been a train wreck. But your way is always best.
I'd like your heads bowed. God's way is always best. And the only way we always get God's best is we allow him to have his way. Allow him to have his way in timing. Allow him to have his way in how things are done and who things are done through. Allow him to have his way whether he wants to use a strength, uh, an accomplishment, an ability, or if he wants to use a weakness and a frailty or a flaw or a failure. His ways are higher than ours. His deeds are superior to ours. His plans are superior to ours. Why, why would we ever live this life without his input? The only answer is pride. We think we can do it, and it'll be good enough or best, even though we haven't allowed him to have input. When we turn to God and we recognize in our lives that we need God, we can't do this on our own. We can't forgive ourselves. We can't cleanse ourselves. We can't. We can't do all the things that God has already made available, but not we've not received. And we come to that place of recognizing God. God can. God will. And we need God. And we cry out to him. The Bible says, those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a moment in time where we recognize and we humbly come to God and say, God, I need you. I repent. I ask you to forgive me. And I also step down from being the ruler of my life and I, Lord, want you to be Lord of my life. If you've never done that today, I want to pray with you. But I'm not going to ask you to pray alone. Whether you're here in the sanctuary or you're at home, we're all going to pray this together. But it's to give a brand new beginning that is unlike any other life we could ever have. It's a life that God is involved with and able to do things we can't do. So let's pray this prayer together all together. Heavenly Father, I come to you today humbly, asking you to forgive me. And Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, be Lord of my life from this day forward. You guide, you govern, you guard. I am following you. I thank you for saving me. From this day forward, I am yours, you are mine, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.